Know anything you use an app for to get a service that may be from someone that is self-employed and uh, really doesn't fall into the regular rules that are like labor codes? The question is continuing to come up and has raised its head again with workers, unions and experts saying the British Columbia government is dragging its feet on pledges to improve conditions for drivers and food couriers working to eke out some sort of living. This as we move squarely into a digital gig economy for so many more people. Well, to talk a little bit about this and some of the struggles, we bring in Jim Stanford tonight. He's an economist and director of the Center for Future Work. Jim, thanks for being with us on a Thursday evening in the dark hours. Bruce, thank you for having me. You know, the gig economy has been around for a long time. uh, And the thing that pops into my mind, even before we talk about apps in the digital economy, is musicians. Uh, They've been around and performing for years. And, you know, many times they were exploited. And uh, we've always heard the tales of, you know, how musicians were taken, uh, you know, uh, by managers or this or that. Well, is the 2022 version of that an app or a company that takes a whole bunch of gig workers and sends them out as food couriers or something else. Is that what we're seeing today? I'm so glad that you raised that history, Bruce, because many people, when they think about, you know, calling an Uber or something like that, they think this is all new. It's so technical. It's on my smartphone. It works through a platform. Therefore it's innovation and the wave of the future. But In fact, this whole business model is hundreds of years old. You know, you mentioned the original gigs, of course, performing uh, artists, not just the musicians, but often the stagehands or uh, theatrical supporters uh, who worked from one job to the next. But there's many other industries where you work multiple jobs in different locations. Uh, Think about construction, even. That's kind of a gig type of business. So in a way, there's nothing really new about this idea that, you know, somebody is not going to have the same employer in the same location uh, day after day after day. Uh, and so in that regard, I think we should be skeptical of the claim that uh, companies like Uber make that this is a whole new model and therefore the old fashioned rules like paying the minimum wage, for example, uh, don't apply. It isn't actually a new model. It's a pretty old model. It's now organized through a smartphone and a digital platform instead of somebody phoning you up and telling you where your next gig is going to be. But that isn't really a fundamental difference. So it is kind of a continuation of a, a pretty long-standing practice, but uh, the companies involved are trying to weasel out of some of those traditional responsibilities of being an employer by pretending that these Uber drivers and bike riders and so on are actually their own little businesses rather than workers, which is what in practice they are. Well, it's interesting because a lot of this comes down to work that could be divided into two different categories, I would imagine. Delivery drivers can be employees of a company. A very old model where you have, uh, you know, a dispatch system, you send out your employees Mm -hmm. and they deliver. Okay, I get that. Or somebody doing very similar work could be, equipped with a app on their iPhone and taking a gig as it comes up, but they're self-contractors and they like the freedom of that. But does a company like an Uber or a skip the dishes, uh, do they 
tend to, I don't want to say take advantage of uh, workers and their sense of wanting freedom, but uh, do they do they just uh, kind of identify a group that uh, they don't even have to worry about them whatsoever because if they're a contract worker, that's them. It's on them. I, I think that's right, uh, Bruce. I think they have, in, in a way, been opportunistic about using that category of a contractor to avoid the normal responsibilities. And, and some of those responsibilities are very important. I mentioned minimum wage. What about Canada Pension Plan or employment insurance? This is something that is supposed to be available for workers you know, when they retire or when they're unemployed. The, that's denied uh, to these uh, folks. What about workers' compensation? There's an important one. You know, I can tell you, riding around on your bicycle at night delivering fast food, and usually people want it when the weather's really bad, right, Bruce? That's that's exactly why you call, you know, skip the dishes or something on those, you know, wet nights or dark nights. That's very dangerous work, yet they are not covered by workers' compensation in the event that they get hit by a car or, or otherwise injured. And, and these uh, these exemptions really don't make any sense. Like, these people are not truly independent. You know, they, they you, know, you mentioned about the freedom. They're allowed to log on and log off the app. But in practice, it's not quite the freedom you think it is because they're all going to be working on Friday and Saturday nights. Why? Not because they love to work on Friday and Saturday nights, but because that's when the business is. And you could organize other jobs, uh, delivering parcel, delivering food, uh, delivering people through, in, through a more traditional taxi-type business where people still had flexibility as to when they were going to work. But they knew they were going to get the minimum wage and they got the other basic entitlements of uh, of having a job. So uh, I think it, it is a very artificial construct that the companies have used. It's being challenged legally uh, in the courts, in the labor boards, and with uh, uh, legislative reforms in, in places all over the world, in America, in Europe, in Australia, and some, some places in Canada, you've seen some precedent-setting judgments. So I think that the the days of this easy loophole where Uber and the others can avoid minimum wage and those other basic standards. I think the days are numbered, frankly. Yeah, it's interesting when uh, some of the arguments made, uh, like an Uber can say, well, it's up to the drivers. They could turn down work or they can accept work, but they still go and keep track of all the things that have been accepted. Meaning that if you're turning down work constantly, Perhaps, and maybe somebody doesn't even know, you could be punished and not given work in the future. So it's one of those things, yeah, okay, they're working for themselves, but how much of that is still at the beck and call of your uh, your yeah. app? No, you're quite right. Like a genuine small business uh, has their own name, they have their own logo, they set their own price, they market their services to a number of different clients. And, uh, you know, they genuinely have control over the work that they're doing. And you can have a, an objective test. The, the laws have got all, you know, the courts have set all kinds of precedents about how to determine whether someone is genuinely self-employed or whether it's just a label that's been attached to someone who is actually uh, a worker. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is, again, uh, with an Uber, an Uber situation, Uber markets it. Uber controls the price. You have no uh, ability to uh, influence or set your own price. Uh, Uber determines how much of the revenue you yourself will catch. Uber assigns you the fares. Okay, You can accept them or decline them, but if you decline them too often, the algorithm is going to bump, bump you to the bottom of the list, and you're going to find yourself not getting any requests. So uh, I think it's a bit of a myth, this whole idea that you know I just love being my own boss. You aren't really your own boss when you're driving Uber. 
Uh, Jim, before the break, uh, I had asked the question about our politicians and our leaders, but I would also say labor leaders. Do they get it or are they struggling here? Uh, I think that everybody understands this practice is becoming more common. Uh, you know, and again, as, as you mentioned at the outset, Bruce, gig models for employment are actually quite old, whether it's, you know, musicians or construction workers or think about labor hire type of arrangements, you know, where you work for a few days for someone and then you hope for a, a gig with another company. So the model itself isn't new, but the fact that this technology using digital platforms to match the workers with jobs uh, is spreading. And, you know, we see it obviously in, in uh, passenger driving, uh, package and food delivery. We see it in some technology applications. We're seeing it spread into other sectors as well. Think about, uh, say, home care or nursing aids, that kind of thing, uh, even caring services where the digital uh, model is, is being applied. So uh, I think both politicians and trade union leaders uh, understand this is spreading. And we better kind of wrap our our arms around it in terms of uh, how we respond to make sure that people doing these jobs are treated fairly, first of all, and to make sure that this digital model doesn't undermine the quality and security of employment in traditional uh, roles. You know, if you can be replaced by someone doing it uh, for less than minimum wage on a gig, then your own job could be uh, threatened uh, because of this trend. You know, health and safety does cost money. And when you start to take a look at uh, taking care of your workers, it is an expense. It's also possibly the right thing to do. But uh, I had a chance last week to talk with uh, the new president of the BC Federation of Labour about the concept of many workers in the province. And in this case, I'm talking about uh, workers who are employed and not contract workers, not independent contractors, not gig workers. But the push is on for the BC Federation of Labor to get 15 sick days per year. When it comes to the gig economy, I take it that many of the gig workers that we've talked about get zero sick days per year and uh, often have to put their own health at risk. Is that not the case? Is there something that can be done? And should there be something done by our politicians and union leaders? Yeah, I think the answer is yes to every one of those three questions, Bruce. Uh, First of all, they do put their health at risk. They do not get any paid sick days. They don't get paid holidays. They don't get paid statutory holidays. Uh, They don't get any of those traditional benefits. They don't get Canada Pension Plan or any other pension plan. Uh, They don't get uh, dental care or any of the other uh, benefits that most uh, uh, waged workers get. Uh, and so they're putting their health at risk. They're also putting the health of their customers at risk, aren't they? You know, if they're going to work sick, and this was a big issue during the pandemic because they've got nothing to fall back on, and that's a disservice to the community, not just uh, obviously to their own health. So I, I think this is one of many important ways in which the standards and protections for people working in the gig economy have to be uh, have to be enforced. Uh, government could do this by simply making it clear that the legislation regarding minimum sick pay in, in BC right now, it's five days, uh, of course, and the federal jurisdiction is 10 days. Mm, it ranges in other provinces. Uh, most provinces actually have no uh, requirement for paid sick days. Um, but w- whatever it was, you could just make sure in the way you've drafted the legislation or even regulations through the Labour Board to make sure that uh, people doing that type of work where they're clearly working for another company, they aren't a genuine uh, independent business, they should be qualified for sick pay uh, as well as the other basic uh, standards. 
Uh, trade unions, of course, are trying to get uh, get their arms around this as well, and we've seen a number of different uh, union organizing and legal challenges in various provinces in Canada, uh, trying to put limits on the extent to which these platform companies can use the the loophole of calling their workers a contractor and saying, look, you know, they use a smartphone, therefore they're not a worker. Like, you know, give me a break. And most of the most of the labor boards are are quickly um, uh, tossing aside that uh, that argument and requiring the companies to put in place uh, basic protections like severance pay, for example. Uh, some of the Ontario cases have made it very clear that gig workers are entitled already to some of those basic protections and. Uh, I think those precedents will extend to other provinces eventually as well. Do you think this is going to be settled uh, in the halls and legislatures uh, with politicians, or is it going to be something that is going to stay with the courts? Uh, Who's going to figure this out? Uh, I think it'll be a bit of both, uh, frankly. You know, we are seeing the courts moving uh, already. Um, and uh, I think some of the some of the again the precedent cases both in courts and in labor boards, which isn't quite a court, but it's kind of a quasi judicial uh, kind of approach to them. We are we're seeing I think gradually in Canada, like in other countries, uh, a kind of pushback against the attempt to create uh, these uh, categories of uh, independent contractors where they don't really apply. Um, but I also think the legislatures uh, would help the process if they kind of came out and in some cases uh, either clarified the wording and application of existing labor standards laws or, uh, in fact, develop new laws uh, to make sure that uh, people who are doing this type of work where they aren't a genuine independent business uh, are covered by labor standards. So uh, I think both of them will be required. And then I think the, the union organizing will also be another way. Um, even if they aren't classified as waged employees, I think uh, by getting together in, the, in a union or an association of some kind, gig workers would be able to exert some bargaining power with companies uh, like Uber. Uh, it's an, ir- uh, an irony, Bruce, but this you know sort of faceless digital algorithm that assigns people where to go could actually be quite vulnerable to something like a strike or uh, some kind of collective action by drivers if enough of them got together and said, you know, we're going to take action unless Uber guarantees us a minimum wage, for example. That would be an obvious demand. And uh, I think uh, they could exert some significant bargaining pressure that way. We've seen well, they certainly are digital savvy. So yes, exactly. I mean, they can get their message exactly. out pretty easily and they all have a, a device in their hands. And they communicate with each other. They, you know, often wait for jobs, especially the food delivery workers often wait for jobs in the same place. They get to know each other a little bit and build up some kind of collective solidarity that way. Jim Stanford, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Bruce. Thank you for taking on this topic.